Let me invite you to open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. Please join me in prayer. Father, it is a joy to sing and to know that what we're singing is in accordance with your truth that you've revealed in your word. Help us now that we would walk with you, that we would be filled with your spirit and worship you in your word and in the remembrance of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever eaten too many of the cookies from the ladies' cookie swap? Or too many items of snack food like nachos or pizza? Now, now I'm not saying this from personal experience. I'm, I'm thinking you probably have the problem uh, with this. Uh, how do you feel when you are done with, with that? Generally, when you eat too much junk food, you feel a little crummy. Have you ever binge watched something one episode after the other or spent too much time scrolling through posts on social media or played some kind of an electronic game just a little too much or maybe a lot too much? When you're done, how do you feel about that? feel a little bit crummy. Something just seems out of order. In contrast, how do you feel when you eat the right things in the right amount? You have the right kind of exercise for the right amount of time in the right way. You didn't overdo it and hurt yourself. The right amount of exercise, the right kind of foods, the right amount. You're not starving yourself. The right amount. Good food. You feel better, right? Because you're following proper courses. Eating what your body is designed to eat and exercising the way your body was designed to be exercised. How do you feel when you finish worshiping God in His Word and in prayer? Or when you're leaving from corporate worship where the Gospel has been clearly articulated and the Lord Jesus has been magnified? There's something within our heart that that sings forth. There's a joy that resides within us. There are things that are right and good for us. And our well-being is impacted by it. Solomon, you'll remember, in Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 11, has told us that God has put eternity into man's heart. Augustine, or Augustine, depending on how you like to say it, his name, made this statement It's familiar. It's popular. Thou hast made us for Thyself, O Lord. Our heart is restless until it finds its rest in Thee. God has made us as worshiping beings. We all worship. We worship with our body, our soul, and our spirit, we worship with our intellect, our emotion, and our will. True worship, true worship requires knowledge. We cannot worship God properly without knowledge. There are false worships, but true worship requires knowledge. Listen to the words of the Lord Jesus in John chapter 4 and verse 22, talking to the woman at the well. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation 
is from the Jews. And so Jesus was talking about a worship in accordance to understanding, a worship according to knowledge. This morning, in, in the few moments that we have to study God's Word together, we want to notice six elements of true worship. A couple of these will be a little bit of reiterative in their nature, so there'll be some overlap in some of these elements, but you'll see why as we get to the end of our Bible study. We're worshiping God in our Bible study, and we're going to cover part of Romans chapter 1 kind of backwards. We're going to start with some concepts that are true from the Scriptures, and then we're going to see how those are spoken of in Romans chapter 1. So we want to talk about six elements of true worship. First of all, true worship is exaltation. True worship is exaltation. We want to exalt God. We must exalt God. We're in Mark chapter 2. The context is that Jesus was preaching in a crowded home. And as that took place, four men were carrying a man who was paralyzed, into the house. And they were desperate to bring this man to Jesus. But when they arrived at the house, the doorway was packed. They couldn't get him in. And so they got on top of the roof and they uh, unthatched the roof. They were digging into the roof. They peeled back all of this thatch and then maybe removed some clay and they lowered the man into Uh, the presence of the Lord Jesus. That's where we pick it up in verse 5 of Mark chapter 2. And when Jesus saw their faith, now their faith is not the emphasis of this account. Jesus is the emphasis of this account. But when Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Correct. You got the point. Verse 8, And immediately Jesus, perceiving in His Spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed, and he went before them all, listen to what it says, so that they were all, what does it say, amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So there's this exaltation in the process of this scene where Jesus forgives and heals a man. The man walks off in their presence and they're all astounded by the glory of Jesus. Now, not everyone was worshiping in accordance with truth, but they were all amazed and glorified God. We've never seen anything like this. This is an exaltation. When we exalt God in our worship, we at the same time are submitting ourselves. In other words, His magnification is our minimization. His magnification is our minimization. When we exalt God, we, as a necessary course, similarly 
decrease our understanding of ourselves and our appreciation of ourselves. Just like John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. This is what happens when we truly exalt and worship God. Paul spoke of this in Philippians chapter 3 when giving his testimony and speaking about true worshipers. He said this, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. What's the necessary next step? And put no confidence in the flesh. He's exalted. I am minimized. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29 gives a little sense of this as well. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have a receive grace by which we may serve God acceptably. So we need grace to serve God acceptably with what? Reverence and godly fear. We're worshiping God, exalting Him through God's grace, and we're reverencing, so we're lowering ourselves, godly fear, For God is a consuming fire. True worship is exaltation. Secondly, true worship exudes thanksgiving. True worship exudes thanksgiving. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 5. When we are truly worshiping God, there is a spirit of thanksgiving that is associated with, with this worship. And in Ephesians 5, it is a necessary outflow. It is an automatic, fruitful outflow of what happens when a person is walking in the power of the Spirit. When we walk in or with the Spirit, fruit is demonstrated. And one of those fruits is thanksgiving. Take a look, please, beginning in verse 18 of Ephesians 5. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled or be controlled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You hear worship there, right? Singing and making melody to whom? To the Lord. That's worship, right? To the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always for everything to whom? To God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So thanksgiving is a necessary outflow of worship Worship that is empowered by the Spirit results in a praising of God, a singing forth to God in our hearts, and then a thanksgiving to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. The psalmists speak about thanksgiving regularly. Psalm 118, verse 1 says this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Why? For He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. The end of that same psalm, Verses 28-29, You are my God and I will give thanks to You. You are my God. I will extol You. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. See this worship that's coming forth. There's a worship that is exalting God and it leads to a thanksgiving before the Lord. Thirdly, we want to notice this. A third element of true worship is true worship is according to truth. True worship is according to truth. Take a look at John chapter 4. The Gospel of John chapter 4. A familiar setting. The Lord Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well. The disciples had gone off to get food. Jesus asked the woman to give Him some water. She brought some water up and He told her about some water that would make her never thirst again. All of these wonderful things that you know from that context. We want to pick it up in verses 23 and 24 of John chapter 4. 
We're talking about true worship is according to truth. Verse 23, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and what? Truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him how? In spirit and truth. The truth of God's Word, the Bible, sets a purposeful course for our worship. The Word of God, the Bible, sets a purposeful course for our worship. We don't worship haphazardly. We don't worship willy-nilly. We worship in accordance with the things God has revealed. We worship in accordance with truth. True worship is according to truth. Fourth element of true worship that we want to notice is this. True worship requires the illumination and grace of the Holy Spirit. True worship requires the illumination and grace of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We've already read all of these verses, so they're all going to be on the the screens to my left and right. Psalm, excuse me, Philippians 3.3. For we are the circumcision, what does it say? Who worship by the Spirit of God. How do we worship? By the Spirit of God. Of God. He is the one who enables, energizes, illumines us toward worship. Ephesians 5 18 and 19. Do not be drunk with wine, that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And what's the result of that? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. How does that happen? Because the Spirit is welling it up within us. It is in accordance with God's grace through the Spirit. And then Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29 again. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have what? Grace. What is grace? Well, if you just want to talk about it in one element, then you'll talk about God's riches at Christ's expense, and you'll talk about salvation, which is a wonderful benefit of God's grace. But that is not the extent of God's grace. God's grace is far more encompassing than that. It is by grace that we understand what we read in the Scriptures. It is by grace that we pray. It is by grace that we worship. It is by grace that we walk. It is by grace that we obey. It is by grace I can love. It is by grace I have peace. It is by grace I have long-suffering. Without grace, I do none of this. And here he says, let us have grace. For what? By which grace we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. I need the grace of God to enable true, righteous worship. I need God's grace. True worship requires illumination. God giving us light from the Spirit and God's grace from the Spirit. A fifth element of true worship is this. True worship is informed by God's Word. Now that sounds like point number three, doesn't it? You'll see why I'm doing this shortly. Fear not. True worship is informed by God's Word. We already read John 4, 23 and 24. Listen to what it says again. The hour is coming and now is here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The Bible tells us in Psalm 19.7, keep this in the back of your mind, Psalm 19.7, the 
Law of the Lord is perfect, reviving, giving life, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Making wise the simple. The, the Word of God takes us from simple to wise. Keep that in mind because so often we go from what God has revealed with wisdom and we go toward foolishness as we deviate from the truth. True worship is in accordance with truth and true worship is informed by God's Word. The psalmist wrote this in Psalm 119, that incredibly long chapter or psalm. He says this, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That is in daily, war, daily walk and that is with regard to worship. A sixth element of true worship is this. True worship revolves around the glory of God. Now that sounds like our first point. True worship is exaltation. Well, they are similar. The concepts are similar. True worship revolves around the glory of God. I want you to turn to a few passages of Scripture with me to consider this. First of all, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. True worship revolves around the glory of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Take a look beginning at verse 27. Paul's point in this section is that we are to worship God for His glorious gifts. He hasn't called us because of our wisdom. He's called us because of His grace. And so we should worship Him. Verse 27. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, yes, God revealed His righteousness through the Gospel. Yes. But the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their ungodliness suppress the truth. You are in Christ. Because of Him, you are in Christ who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts do what? Boast in the Lord. Is that your boast this morning? Is your boast in the Lord? Or that you're just a fine, you're a fine person and you follow the Lord and you do the right things and you help the, the, those that are needy and you, and you give to the people in need and, and, and you do all these things and you're, you're following diligently to, to be a good person. Is that your boast? Or is your boast that you have righteousness and sanctification and wisdom from God because of being in Christ. He is our boast. Uh, take a look please with me at Revelation chapter 4. This glorious scene in heaven. True worship revolves around the glory of God. Revelation chapter 4. We're going to cut right into the middle of this scene where the glory of God is being revealed. In verse 9, and what, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, whoever, uh, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated 
on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are You, O Lord and God, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for You created all things and by Your will they exist and were created. Can you see? The worship around the throne of God is focused on magnifying and glorifying God. That's the, that's the point of worship. When we come together, we don't come to get, we come to, to glorify God. We come to exalt the Lord. True worship revolves around God's glory. Look at the next chapter, chapter 5, verses 9 and following. Again, cutting into the middle of the scene. It says, and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made them a kingdom of priests, excuse me, a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne the living uh, creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, This is their praise. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said what? Amen. And the elders fell down. And what did they do? They worshipped. Why? Because there's an exaltation of God the Father and of God the Son. Because through God the Father and God the Son, we have redemption and life and everything. True worship revolves around the exaltation and glorification of God. These are important elements concerning true worship. This is not in any way an exhaustive list but a purposeful selection of truths that will help us see some of the significance of Paul's argument regarding the wrath of God being revealed against the unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. Please head with me to Romans chapter 1. I'm going to do something that is a little unorthodox. Please, will you do me the favor of doing something unnatural to you. I'm going to read the passage and I'm going to ask you not to look in your Bible. I'm going to ask you to look at the screen so that you can see the elements that we just spoke about being unfolded or unraveled through Paul's argument. Because people would rather serve and worship something other than the Creator, what we have been created to do is not accomplished. As a result, Paul declares those who follow a pattern other than the way God prescribes to be unrighteous. And in our unrighteousness, the Bible says, the wrath of God is revealed. 
So please follow along with me. I'll read from verse 18 through verse 25. Along the way, there'll be certain elements that will come up on the screens. Here is God's word, which we read together earlier. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him. True worship is exaltation, but they wanted none of this. Or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking. Instead of the fruitful word that purposely sets a course for us to worship God, they preferred empty thinking that deviates from Him. And their foolish hearts, rather than being illumined and graced, were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Instead of the Word of God making simple people wise, they rejected the wisdom of God's Word and became fools. Instead of allowing their worship to revolve around the glory and majesty of God, They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, friend, we have been made to worship God with our whole being. When a person refuses to acknowledge the God who has made himself known, that man with the rest of mankind that does the same sets a course in contradiction to God's design. This ungodliness of mind leads to a living of an unrighteous life. Remember, this section is telling us that God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And he is now detailing for us who this is referring to. John R.W. Stott hits the nail on the head, in my opinion, with this paragraph as he uh, characterizes this next section of the argument in, in Romans. He says, in 117, he has stated that in the Gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. In 3.21, he will repeat this statement almost word for word. But now a righteousness from God has been made known. It is in between these two great affirmations of the revelation of God's gracious, gracious righteousness that Paul sandwiches his terrible exposure of human unrighteousness, verses 18 of chapter 1 through chapter 3 and verse 20. And in our current section, verses 21 through 24, Paul is explaining to us that one cause of man's unrighteousness is idol worship. 
think, well, I don't see people bowing down to little idols, but you know better. Pizza can be an idol. Cars can be an idol. Families can be an idol. Work can be an idol. Vacation can be an idol. Oh, so many elements. John Calvin rightly stated that man's heart is an idol-making factory. Rather than worshiping the God who has made Himself known through His creation, mankind has refused to exalt God, to give thanks to God, to learn from God, to seek His light and grace, be guided by His Word, or to worship Him. Douglas Moo uh, characterizes uh, succinctly the pattern in this section, the last portion of the first chapter of Romans, nicely this way. He says in verses 21 through 24, people exchange the truth of God for idols, and God hands them over. In verses 25 through 26a, people exchange the truth of God for a lie, and God hands them over. And then the second half of verse 26 through verse 31, people exchange natural sexual practices for the unnatural, and so God hands them over. So the gist of this first section is that though God has revealed Himself through what He has made, this knowledge has been rejected by the Gentile world. Mankind, generally speaking, has chosen to worship what God has made rather than to worship Him. And the results, this passage tells us, is that God gives them over to their own passions, which result in unrighteous actions. So we see verse 18 coming into fuller focus again here. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, that's mind, lack of conscious worship and thought toward God, and ungodliness, excuse me, unrighteousness of men, there's the actions of man. So instead of worshiping God properly, we worship other things. Instead of living in accordance with God's truth, we live in accordance with our own standards. Because of the unwillingness to worship God, there is a turn uh, to that which is contrary to God's reveal, revealed will. You see, man has a worship problem which leads to a righteousness problem, which leads to a judgment problem. Is that clear from this text? A worship problem that leads to a righteousness problem that leads to a judgment problem. So Paul was eager to preach the gospel to these people and to people like us. For the gospel is a course correction. The gospel, through the power and plan of God, makes us spiritually alive. And when we are spiritually alive, our hearts are warmed by worshiping our Creator and dissatisfied when we worship other things. Do you sense that in yourself? When you're worshiping God, there is a there's something indescribable that takes place in your innards. 
inside of you. Can you describe what it, what it is? There's a, Charles Wesley said, I felt my heart strangely warmed. It's, it's a pretty accurate description for many of us that when we're worshiping, there's something going in, on inside. It's a positive churning within us. And yet, when we worship something else that is not God, that cannot give us satisfaction, there's a growing dissatisfaction, and almost, it's like we do this thing, and we turn a disgust toward it when we're finished. It's like, what, why? Why am I doing this? Why am I thinking this way? Why am I acting this way? There's a, a disgust within us, which brings about a repentance. Because we know where our hearts are strangely warmed. Yet again as we worship the Lord in accordance with His truth. See, God has ultimately saved us to worship Him forever. With that in mind, turn to the last book of the Bible, the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22. Just head to the back of your Bible. Find the final chapter. Revelation 22. God has ultimately saved us to worship and serve Him forever. And if that doesn't, sound appealing to you, it means you don't know Him. That realization is a good one. So if you don't know Him, I would call you today toward repentance and faith in Christ. If you do know Him, the scene that is set here in Revelation 22 is one that gives you a little taste for what is to come. Revelation 22, beginning in verse 1, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and the night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. Listen, and they will reign forever and ever. This is what God saved us for. To worship Him. To serve Him. To reign with Him forever and ever. Did you know, you do because we read it at least twice already, that God is seeking worshipers? John 4, 23 and 24 for at least a third time. But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Listen. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. God is seeking worshipers. And my question for you Will you bow to Him? Will you bow to Him? True worship is exaltation. It exudes 
thanksgiving. It's according to truth. It's illuminated and brought forth through the grace of the Spirit of God. It is guided and navigated by the truth that results in our wisdom, the wisdom of God being demonstrated in our lives, and it revolves around the glory and majesty of God. Generally speaking, mankind has turned their back on this to worship something else, and it leaves them following after unrighteous things. But God has provided a solution in the gospel. Jesus lived for you. Jesus died for you. Jesus was raised for you. If you've turned from your sin and you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And the unrighteousness that's resulting from a worship problem that leads to a judgment problem is removed. Because God will make you a worshiper. He will grant to you righteousness and joy and an eternal reward of life with him. Turn from your sin. Turn to Jesus Christ. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Let's pray together. Father, we need you. I pray for anyone in this room that doesn't know you, anyone listening that doesn't know you. Please do your work of making them alive. May they call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. In Jesus' name, amen.